We are going to continue our study today in 1 Corinthians, so if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn with me to uh, chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 1 through 5. Uh, keep in mind, as we've mentioned in the past, if you, if you happen to miss a week, you can catch up on the, uh, web, on the church's website, or you can uh, access the podcast. Uh, everything's being recorded and posted, so if you don't know how to do that, just get with me. I'll help you set that up on your phone, and you can, you can keep up with the weeks that you're not here. Um, the, uh, the title of our, of our lesson today is The Present Power of the Cross. The Present Power of the Cross. Um, if you and I, and we'll, you know, again, we're, we're all here on a Sunday morning we're in a Bible study trying to learn more about, about God. I, so we'll make an assumption that, that the majority of us in here are, are saved. And if you're a Christian and you look back in the past, if you can remember that far, to a time when you were an unbeliever. And if I ask you, what did the cross mean to you when you were an unbeliever? Well, if you think about it, at that time, the cross meant to you certain things. Right? The cross meant, if you were an unbeliever, the cross meant forgiveness. It meant acceptance. It meant adoption. It meant rescue or salvation, right? That, that's what the cross means when you're an unbeliever. But the fact is, now that I'm a Christian, and, and some of us have been Christians for years and years and years, I've received all of those things. I've received those blessings. I, I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am adopted. I have been rescued or, or saved. So I've, I've received all those things. Now, if I look into the future, you'll realize as a Christian in the future, the cross also has a certain meaning for you. For example, the cross will one day mean glorification. The, the, the cross will one day mean transformation. The cross will one day mean eternal joy. It will mean uh, perfect healing. One day, it will mean. By the way, you'll get a new name. One day, it, it means all of those things in the future. Those are all still to come. But what if I ask you the question: What does the cross mean to you now? What, what does the cross mean to you this morning? What does that? What is the present? I mean, what is the power of the cross in the present? Now, if I, if somehow or another, I was able to ask this across the America. Most American Christians would probably say, I'd say, what does the cross mean to you today? Most American Christians would probably say something like this. Well, Jesus died on the cross for me as a substitute for my sin. In other words, he, he, he was a substitute for me on that cross. And the reason he did that was so that I could enjoy the abundant life now that he purchased for me. So if I ask most American Christians, what does the cross mean? They would say something like this. Jesus died on the cross so that I could enjoy an abundant life today. In other words, really, the, the, if I ask you, what is the present power of the cross? Many American Christians would say abundant life. Now, that's a very common view of Christianity in the, in the United States today. And, and, and I can tell you this, it was very, that's very, very close to the view that Paul had to contend with at Corinth. That, that was very close to how they saw things. But now here's the question. There's a real problem with that summation or that explanation of the cross because it's missing a huge part of the story. 
So if I was just to say Jesus died on the cross so I could have abundant life, what's, what's missing? Okay, well, what's missing is this. Where's the suffering? Where, where's the self-denial? Right? There, there's nothing in that explanation about denying self or, or suffering or anything like that. It's just all about abundant life. You see, when Christ died for us on the cross, yes, He died for our sins. But He also showed me through His actions and through His words what a person must do to follow Him. And he tells us that in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And, 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 I, and I look at that word, daily. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself daily. Okay? Now, what I want you to see this morning, I want us all to see, is that Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins. Yes, he did not die to save us from the cross. Okay? He died to save us from sins. He died to save us from hell. But He didn't die to save us from the cross. For the Christian, the cross of Christ isn't just something that happened in the past. It's not something just stays in the past as a, as a place of substitution. For the Christian, the cross is supposed to be a daily place of execution. You are to carry it with you every day, into every place, into every situation, into every relationship that you have, the cross should be right there with you. Okay? It should be a daily occurrence. Romans 6, 6-11, Paul talks about this. He says this, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, Paul's saying that was then. When Jesus died on the cross, He literally bore my sin. Every sin that I've ever committed in the past, every sin that I will ever commit in the future, Jesus literally bore those on His shoulders. He took those for me. That was then. And when He did that, He set me free from sin. But Paul doesn't stop there. If you read on down, he said this, So, you almost, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is never let the cross lose its crucifying power in your life. Never look at the cross as something that happened in the past or, or maybe it means something in the future. No, it has, a, it has a present power. It has a purpose for your daily life and that is crucifying power. Okay? So we never let the cross slim, uh, slip into the dim and misty past as, as though Christ died for us just so that we could have pleasure. Now let me tell you something. The pleasures are coming. Uh, Psalm 1611 says, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we've already received some of those pleasures and some of those blessings in measure. For example, we've already received forgiveness. We've already received acceptance and assurance and holiness and healing. But it's not perfect. Let me explain here what I mean about that. We are forgiven, are we not, as Christians? In fact, the, uh, the book of Hebrews says, through one sacrifice He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When, when God looks at me, He sees me as absolutely perfect. I'm flawless in, in, his, in His sight. I am completely forgiven. But let me tell you, there's not a person here that even though they know they're forgiven, 
you don't struggle with some shame and regret for what you've done. Because we may be forgiven, but we don't forget the things that we've done, do we not? What about, um, what about we talked last week about assurance? We should have 100% assurance that we are going to be saved. But every one of us kind of go like this, do we not? It's not one day it's perfect assurance. Yeah, I'm a Christian. The next day it's down a little bit, right? What about healing? Does God heal today? Absolutely. But He only does it in measure. He only does it in part. How many times have you seen a person that's healed of something like cancer, but yet they still suffer from arthritis? Yes or no? How many people can go to the hospital, be healed of heart disease, and come home and they got migraines? No, there's not a person in this world, not a Christian, that walks in perfect health. God does not heal perfectly in this life. When Jesus came, I've said this over and over, there, people were dying all over Israel. I think he raised, what, three, five? He, 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 he did, what he did, he showed us his healing. He gives us healing today in part, but it's an echo of what's coming. It's, it's just only a glimpse of what's coming. It's not, we're not supposed to walk in perfect health. We're not supposed to walk in perfect healing. It was never meant to be that way. You see, there's so much more over the horizon that's coming for us. The future that awaits us, that's where our focus should be. That's what we should be living for, not the present. Okay? Um, in that sense, by the way, we're to be like Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame. The writer of Hebrews is saying, when we run the race of this Christian life, we're to look for Jesus. By the way, for two reasons. Number one, we are to look to Him as the source of our endurance. Right? If you're going to endure, He's going to enable you. He's going to empower. But we also look to Him as our example. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus was ridiculed and scorned and suffered and tortured, He did all that because He had His eye on what was coming. He had His eyes on the horizon for the joy that was set before Him. We are to live in the same way. It's not about this life. It's not about what can I get here. It's about what's coming for me. Paul says it even better in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. See, Paul's saying when you live this life here, the focus shouldn't be some abundant life you can have here. The focus should be on what's coming. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. By the way, the pleasures, we said pleasures are where? Where are they? Psalm 1611, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Where's Christ seated? He's seated there. I mean, that's where our life is. That's where our focus should be. That's what we should be living for, striving for, for what's coming. Okay? Now, but many, many Christians in the world today, though, especially in America, you know, I can't really speak for those overseas, but we've had a love affair for so long with the prosperity gospel that it's tainted the Christianity by, by relegating the cross to the distant past. I heard, read somewhere sometime, and I hate to even put this up there, but I read this somewhere, that Jesus was soaked in blood so that I can soak in a jacuzzi. Really? You see, you can't... There's too many people living in a way that, that the, Jesus did that for me in the past so I can have it all today. 
I can be full and rich and healthy and wealthy. Where's the suffering? Where's the self-denial? This is not what we should be living for. The Bible doesn't tell tell us that at, at all. The cross has become something to a lot of Christians in the world that Jesus did for us back there in the past to deal with the problem of sin. It's a, it's a symbol of our faith, but in reality, we don't need it any longer. Okay, It has no real meaning in the present. But that's what I'm here to talk to you about this morning, is what is the present power of the cross? What should the cross mean to us this morning? Now, you may say, well, Derek, that's a nice rant, but what in the world does that have to do with the church at Corinth? Well, you see... Remember that I said a few weeks ago that the main problem in Corinth is what? Pride. That's their underlying problem. And I can tell you this, that was the main problem in their church, and I can tell you the main problem in every church is is pride. Find Find me a marriage that's in trouble, I'll show you the main problem is pride. Show me relationship problems, I'll show you the main problem is is pride. It's not rocket science here. It's always foundational to the problems. You see, they think that they've advanced beyond the cross. This is the church at Corinth. They think the cross may have been necessary at one time, again, to get them over the problem of sin, but now they see themselves as beyond that. We don't need the cross anymore. We're, We're rich. We're full. We're, we're wise, we're, we're reigning, we've got everything we need. We don't need the cross any, anymore. You see, the weakness of the cross, the foolishness of the cross, the humiliation of the cross, those are long gone. They're no longer allowing the cross to have its rightful place in their daily lives. And what they've replaced that with is pride. We don't need the cross, and they've replaced it with pride. We're going to see Paul uh, address this specifically in chapter 4. And we're not there yet, obviously. But So I can tell you when we get there in context, Paul's being facetious. I'll go ahead and tell you that if you want to go read it later. But he's being facetious when he says this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 8, he's talking to them and he says this, You're already full. You're already rich. You've, you've already reigned as kings without us. And he goes on to say, Indeed, I wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. What Paul says there at the end, he said, There's coming a day when you will reign. In fact, Jesus says, You will reign with me. And Paul says, That day's coming. And I wish you were reigning, because if you were, that means we were in eternity, and I'd be there with you. But he's being facetious, he says, But you think you're already full. You think you're already wise. You think you're already reigning as kings. You see, the Corinthians made two very big mistakes. The first thing they did is they were living as though the cross were a thing of the past. As I mentioned earlier, the cross is not just a past place of substitution. For the Christian, it should be a daily place of execution. It is where we come every day to kill our pride. It's it's where we come every day to kill self-reliance. It's where we come every day to kill things like the love of status and the love of money and the love of the praise of men. That's why we carry the cross with us every day so those things can die on it. At the same time, they were doing a, making another big mistake. They were trying to bring into the present what belongs in the future. You see this a lot today in the prosperity gospel. They, perfect healing belongs where? 
in the future in heaven, but they try to bring perfect healing into the present. It was never meant to be here. That's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were thinking, I can, I'm full now. I'm rich now. I'll walk in perfect health now. I'll reign as kings now. So what they were doing is they were trying to take things that belong in the future and trying to bring them into the present. Now, keep in mind, this has all happened since Paul left Corinth. You remember we talked about this before. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half, and then he's been gone for about two years. So in the two years that he's been gone, all of this stuff has... They've left the cross behind, they've replaced it with pride, and they're trying to bring things that belong to glorified saints in the future. They're trying to bring them into the present. So Paul, in today's passage, he wants to remind them of where they started. He wants to remind them of the meaning of the cross today. So in today's passage, he's going to illustrate from personal experience what he means by the present power of the cross. So if you've got your Bible there, let's, let's read this. 1 Corinthians, 2, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing and he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of, or in the power of God. Now, Let's take a step back. Do you remember the first, our very first lesson? We compared the city of Corinth to what American city? Las Vegas. Corinth was very much like Las Vegas. It was a new city. It was only about, uh, when Paul went there, it was only about 100 years old. But because of its access to shipping lanes, it had grown very fast and become very rich. It was full of a lot of people from all kind of different cultures, um, and it was one of those cities where anything went. They had several temples to Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, if you, you remember us talking about that. Um, prost, uh, these temples employed over a thousand prostitutes. Uh, to play the Corinthian meant to be promiscuous. It was a word throughout the ancient world. If you said you're playing the Corinthian, it means you were being promiscuous. A Corinthian companion was another name for a prostitute. So they had a, 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 um, a reputation as kind of an anything-goes city. Whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, right? It, it, that's where you went to have a good time. Now, I want you to imagine today, we've got Las Vegas, and everybody knows Las Vegas is kind of a separate type of place, right? Things go there that they, nobody, you go there to have a good time, and things go there, and nobody talks about it, and they just kind of let it go. Can you imagine if Paul today went to Las Vegas, and he says, I'm going to go to Las Vegas, and I'm going to start a church there. I'm going to get some people saved, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to get... Now, how do you think Paul would go to Corinth? I mean, I'm sorry, how do you think he would go to Las Vegas? How do you, what would be his approach? What would be his, his preparation? Well, one of the things you're going to see this morning, and I hope it shocks us, is how Paul went and how he did not go. So let's look first at how Paul did not come to Corinth. He said this, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words of wisdom. 
So Paul says, when I came to Corinth, I didn't use fancy words. I didn't try to make myself to be out, to be some kind of PhD, to, to know all the answers. Now we know, by the way, that Paul was a very intelligent man. We know that he was trained from a, from a young child uh, under the Pharisees. He was very well educated. And we know from reading his letters that he had a powerful command of the Greek language. He was a very, very good speaker and a very good writer. But the point he's making here is that when he come, came to Corinth, he didn't use any of those things. He didn't try to sound smarter than anybody else. He didn't try to sound more wise than anybody else. Because here's the reason. He did not want people to respond to him and not to God. You see, that what Paul says, if I come in and I've, I've, I'm this smart guy and this witty guy and this intelligent guy, you might follow me just because, man, that guy seems to have all the answers. But if you do that, what happens when the... By the way, there's always somebody smarter, somebody more charming, somebody more wittier, right? What happens when that person comes along? They may say, well, let me go over here. So what Paul says, when I, when I came into to Corinth or the Las Vegas of the ancient world, I didn't come with fancy words. I didn't come trying to look smarter than everybody else because I didn't want your faith. I didn't want you to follow a man. I wanted you to follow God. Here's another thing he said. My speech in verse 4, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. What do you think if we went to Vegas today and we stood on a street corner and we started preaching Jesus dying on a cross for their sins? What do you, you think? The whole city would get saved. What do you think would happen? Think they might laugh at you and ridicule you, throw things at you. They're, they're there to have a good time. They don't want to hear about sin. They, they don't want to hear about hell. They don't want to hear about any of those things. So, but watch what Paul says. I didn't change the message. I didn't try to make it sound more plausible. Remember, we, we learned in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. Paul says, I didn't try to change it. I didn't try to massage it or water it down to make it fit the audience. I just came with the, the message. He didn't try to sense, make it sound more, uh, more plausible. Now watch how he did come. Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Now, this is really interesting. In, second, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians... He's writing a letter and he's talking about there's some people in the church later on that are going to come against him and start talking about him. And he's writing this letter and he, and, he, and he recites what these people are saying about him. And they say this, His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. You see, when you go back and you read Galatians and Corinthians and some of those books, there seems to have been something chronically wrong with Paul. Some kind of illness, some kind of ailment that made him seem weak. Let me tell you, if we were having a, 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 a something here today in the church and Paul walked in, you wouldn't look over there and say, look at that guy. I mean, he would just, he, he seemed weak, physically weak. He was not an imposing presence at all. There was, when, you, when you saw him, there was something wrong with him. Um, but you see, Paul, years before, had learned a lesson from Christ himself. We all know the story uh, Paul tells us, uh, I think it's in Acts that, um, uh, yeah, no, it's actually in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, I had something in my body 
Uh, he called it a thorn of the flesh that he wanted to get rid of. And he asked Jesus three times, take it away from me. And, he, and Jesus came back and said no. And in fact, this was Jesus' answer to him. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul had learned early on not to despise his weaknesses, but to embrace them. Actually embrace your weakness. Who, who does that? Who embraces your weaknesses? In fact, look at what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. How many of us brag about our weaknesses? We want to brag about how smart we are. We want to brag about how logical we are. We might even brag about how humble we are. There's not many of us brag, go around and brag, I'm too this, or I'm, we don't brag about our weakness. But Paul says, I, he does exactly, he says, I will boast in my weaknesses. If you go on down in that verse, he says, I am content with my weaknesses. And, and why? For when I am weak, that's when I'm the strongest. You see, he learned that lesson from Christ early on. Paul, when you're weak, I'm strong. Just so you understand this, this doesn't mean that when we get stronger, God gets weaker. Or we get weaker, God gets stronger. God doesn't get weaker, does He? He is what He is. What He's saying is that when we get weaker and we quit relying on our strengths, we quit relying on our wit and our charm and our intelligence, that God's strength can then flow. It's made perfect in our weakness. He can do it because we can't. And every, when we rely on ourselves, it's like we push Him aside. I don't need you. So it's not that his strength goes up and down, but his strength is made perfect. In fact, that's exactly the same connection Paul makes in today's text. Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness. And if you go down and read verse 5, we see it says this, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I came to you and I was weak so that God's power could flow. All right? How, a couple other things about how he did come to Corinth. Um, in verse 3, he said, I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. Uh, at the very least, that fear and trembling means this. He did not come to Corinth with a cocky air. He didn't come with a swagger that says, I'm Paul, I've seen Jesus, I'm an apostle, you need to listen to me. No, he says, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. He was aware of his inadequacies and he knew that the stakes were, were very high. Now, there are two things that we want to learn this morning from today's passage, and they both have to do with the present power of the cross. One has to do with how we share, and the other has to do with how we live. Here's the first one. God is looking for weak people. God is looking for weak people. If I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, unless you want to, but how many of you here struggle sharing the gospel because of self-doubts. You see, there may be a few people in this world like Brother Henry who can basically share the gospel with anybody, anytime, anywhere. There's a few people like that. But the majority of us struggle. And it's not because we're ashamed. It's because we struggle with self-doubts. We, we ask ourselves, I'm just not smart enough. I just don't have a good enough knowledge of the Bible. What if they ask me a question? <laughs> you know, that's, that scares us to death. You know, even if we could get it out, they might ask us a question we don't know the answer to. I, I won't be able to find the words 
I'm just not witty enough. I just, I just, let me see, anybody here? I do. That's my struggle. I, I, I'm all, what if they, as soon as I begin to think, start thinking about sharing the gospel, all those self-doubts just start rising up in me. Now, if that's you, then I've got good news for you because you are exactly the type of person God is looking for. If that's you, when you think about sharing the gospel, if you feel weak, if you feel fearful, if you tremble, and can I tell you, you are in a perfect place to share the, uh, the gospel. In fact, let's go through the qualifications. Remember, Paul comes into Las Vegas. Look, would you feel qualified to go to Las Vegas and start a church? Here's Paul. He comes to Las Let's see if you are. Let's see if you're qualified to share the gospel. Um, would you come in with lofty speech or wisdom? I mean, I wouldn't. You see, if you, if you can come without that, then Paul says you're qualified. What about number two? Would you come with weakness and fear and trembling? Anybody? Well, you're qualified. What about number three? My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Would you have trouble coming up with these plausible words of wisdom to make it all just sound so... Well, sure we would. We'll see if you do, you're qualified. In fact, let me say this, and I want you to listen to me very closely here. If that's you, if you feel weak and scared and trembling and insufficient, then I'm going to tell you, you are better suited to share the gospel than someone who is very smart and witty and wise and charming and charismatic. Let me say that again. If that's you, if you feel weak and fearful and trembling, you're better suited to share the gospel than someone who is witty and smart and wise and charming and charismatic. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong with being witty. And when I, what I mean by witty is, is knowing to, how to say the right thing at the right time. There's nothing wrong with being charming. There's nothing wrong with being charismatic. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is, though, if you have those things, you'll tend to rely on those things. You'll rely on your wit. You'll rely on your intelligence. You'll rely on your, your wisdom. And the danger is that when you rely on those things, you don't rely on God. Everybody see that? The danger is that you'll rely on those things and you won't rely on, on God. You see, Jesus said, My power is made perfect when you're weak. When you rely on yourself, you, you push me aside. You don't let me work. But when you come into a situation and you're weak and fearful and trembling, you're perfect. I can come in, I can move, that person's faith will, 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 will stand on my power, and he'll get all the glory. Now, <clears throat> so here's what I want to say. If you're weak, you are perfectly suited for the power of God to flow. Now, you may say, well, that sounds really good, but where do I start? <clears throat> what do I say? I want to tell you a story, um, and for those of you that have, that have been under my teaching for years, you've heard this before, so I apologize, but this is a perfect story, and I, could, I had to tell this again. Several years ago, I was working in town uh, for a company, and the company, we, we were in a building, and they decided to build a second building next door. And so they started the building, and they hired a 
construction company to come in and, and build this building. And as, as time went by, I had to go over to the other building uh, on a daily basis because at the time I was in charge of their computer system and I was running wires and stuff. So I had to work with the construction crews to make sure the fiber optic cable and stuff like that got, got ran. Well, as I went over there and started working, I, I, I met some of the guys. And I, and I met this one guy. And he was a rough-looking character. He was, he was all tatted up. He, was, he had piercings all over his place. He had long, stringy black hair. He looked like a, like a biker or something. And, and, uh, and I got, as I was over there, I became friendly with him. And we would, just start, we would just start talking. Well, the day came where I went over there one day around lunch, and he said, Derek, I wonder if I could ask you a favor. And I said, sure. And he said, I, you know, I live over in Quincy. Oh, let me back up for just a second. As I befriended him, I learned a few things about him. Not only did he look rough, I found out that he didn't have a license because uh, he had several DUIs, so he had completely lost his license. I also found out that he'd been out of, not been out of his own parole for domestic violence. In other words, he'd beat his wife. So you, I'm, I'm about as far from that guy as you could possibly be. I mean, him and me are like 180 degrees on the spectrum. So one day I walk over there, and, and uh, he, he approaches me. He said, Derek, I wonder if I can ask you a favor. I said, sure. He said, uh, I don't have a ride. My ride fell through. Can I get a ride over to Quincy, which was where he, he lived? And I said, well, sure, I'll give you a ride. And, and so I said, meet me over here at 5 o'clock, and we'll go. Well, I go back over to the other building, and that afternoon I start getting this feeling, you need to witness to him. You need to tell him about Jesus. And I want to tell you that as soon as that feeling would come over me, guess what I, the other part would say? You're an idiot. That guy could care less what you have to say. And then I'd get another, you need to tell him about Jesus. Well, how in the world am I even going to start that conversation with him? Have you seen him? He, he doesn't care what I have to say. You need to tell him about Jesus. I can't do that. What, what am I going to say to him? He's going to laugh at me. So this is going on all afternoon, right? Every time I'd feel this impression to witness, I'd feel the self-doubts. So the time comes that afternoon, and, and, and I get in the truck, and, and I'm riding uh, uh, over toward Quincy, and he's in the seat, and I'm telling you the pressure on me, and this has not happened to me very many times, but the pressure was almost physical. I've never felt anything like that. Telling, telling. And I'm in the driving, and that pressure's telling him about Jesus. And every time, I can't do it. I, he, he doesn't care. Look at him. He, he doesn't care. He beats his wife. What does he care what I got to say? He doesn't care. And I mean, tell him. And the pressure literally, guys, was physical. I, I've never felt anything like it. Tell him about Jesus. And somehow, some way, I don't know how I did it, but I finally just started talking about Jesus. And I told him about how Jesus had died on the cross for our sins and, and how he had forgiven my sins and he would forgive his sins. And, and, and I, let me tell you, I'm, I won't even look at him. I'm so scared, I won't even look at him. I'm just driving and the whole time I'm just telling him, Jesus died for you, he died for me, it's made such a difference in my life. And the whole time I'm thinking, Derek, you are the worst witnesser in the world. You got no, you're terrible. You're awful. I mean, the self-doubts are just killing me. So finally, I finished what I had to say, and I thought, okay, I better look at him. And I look over, and tears are running down his face. 
And he said something to me, and I can still remember it today. I can remember it just like it happened this morning. He turned to me and he said, Derek, you don't know how long I've waited for somebody to tell me about God. You don't know how long I've waited for somebody to tell me about God. And we pulled into his yard and we prayed and he received Christ. And I left there that day and I want to tell you all what I felt about that high. I didn't feel joyful. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel... I felt ashamed. You see, God had put me in a situation, in a perfect situation. He had a guy ready. And all I could do was fight it with everything that was in me because of the self-doubts. I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. See, folks, it's not about you at all. It's not about me at all. You see, it's about the message. 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, I came to you, Las Vegas, I came to you, Corinth, and I decided to know one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, you may not be the wittiest and the smartest and the most charismatic, but you have what you need, and that is the message of the cross. You don't need anything more, and you don't need anything less. Listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with memorizing the Romans' road of salvation. Does everybody know what I mean by the Romans' road of salvation? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.13. Listen, if that helps you, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with carrying a New Testament in your back pocket that you can open and you've got things marked where you can take them to certain verses. There's absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing wrong. But you do realize that Paul had none of that. Do you understand? Romans had not been written yet when Paul was in Corinth. Paul didn't go into this Las Vegas of the Mediterranean and say, look at these scriptures, folks. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. You know, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin. Everyone who calls... He didn't have that. He didn't have any of that. In fact, the only scripture he had was the Old Testament. Try going to a bunch of Gentiles with the Old Testament and quote scripture to explain why Jesus came on the cross. He didn't have any of that. What did he have? He had a story about a man that died on a cross for their sins and for my sins and for your sins. You see, the power is in the message. It's not got nothing to do with you. And in fact, when you feel powerless, when you feel weak and you're trembling, you are at the perfect place to share the message. Because if that person's going to get saved, it's going to be because of the message, not you. You are perfectly suited to to do that. You see, Paul had one thing. He didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament was being written. He didn't have that. But he had the one thing that had the power to change the world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells us in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power to save people. That message is the power to save people. If you're driving in a car, if you're with a coworker, you're with a family member, you're with a friend, you have the one thing that has the power to save them, and that is the message of the cross. And you don't have to be perfect. Listen, that day in that car, let me tell y'all, I'm sure I was terrible. I, I wouldn't even, I couldn't even get my thoughts straight because I was so I, that there was like two people were fighting in my mind. I'm sure it was pitiful. 
But you see, God had that man in, in exact, I don't know how long, you don't know how long I've waited for somebody who would tell me about God. Drunkard, wife beater, and just sitting there. How do I get out of this? How do I change? What, what hope is there for me? And nobody would tell him. And I didn't want to tell him. And I didn't. I would have done anything to get out of it. And that's why I felt so ashamed. You and I have that, that power. In fact, go back and read verses 4, four and 5 again in today's uh, passage. Paul says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Now watch this. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the power of God. Most people, when they read that, they think Paul's saying, I came doing miracles. Read that again. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, most of us read that and say, oh, well, see that? Paul didn't have to have all that because he did miracles. And you walk into a city and start healing people and opening blind eyes, and people are going to believe. Well, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, they're not. Jesus said, if you don't believe Moses and the prophets, you won't believe even if a man rises from the dead. Miracles do not engender faith. In fact, they shouldn't engender faith because if you can be led to faith by a miracle, when the Antichrist comes and does false miracles, you'll be led away. Miracles should never bring you to faith. God won't allow that. That, that doesn't happen. Okay? He's, by the way, I don't think at all... It, it, most people think he's talking about that. And by the way, Paul did do miracles. He did do that. But I don't think that's what he's referring to at all. If you go back a few verses earlier in 118, look what Paul said. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is what? What's the power of God? The message. What's the power of God? The message of the cross. You and I have the same power of God available to us that Paul did 2,000 years ago. That's the message of the cross. I can go to a, 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 a man in a truck. We can stand in a, in a pulpit and preach. We can go to our workplace. We got the same power of God that Paul did 2,000 years ago. You see, how you share is not nearly important as what you share. The present power of the cross is the power to change lives. So can I tell you today, embrace your weakness. When it comes to sharing the gospel, if you feel fearful, if you're weak and trembling, don't think you've got all these self-doubts, embrace it. Let God move because of that, not in spite of that. Go out and share the gospel and let His power flow through the message of the cross. Now, I said there were two things, and we'll speed up a little bit here. Uh, the first had to do with sharing. The second has to do with living. Let the cross of Christ fulfill its present purpose, which is execution in your life on a daily basis. Let the cross of Christ do what it's meant to do on a daily basis, and that is execute. That's what the cross means. It means execution. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, let's go back to that again. Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me just tell you this. That does not mean that the whole year and a half Paul was in Corinth, that that's all he talked about. That doesn't mean every time they met, he said, let me go over the message of the cross again. Because we know in the letter, he's going to scold them 
for not understanding other things that he taught them. So he taught them other things. So that doesn't mean that's the only thing I spoke about. So what does it mean when he said, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? I think it means that whatever else he spoke about, whatever else he did, um, that he would know it and do it and say it in relation to Christ crucified. Now this brings us right back to where we started. You see, Paul would never let the cross become something that happened in the past. Something that happened back there to, to get you over the power of sin. Paul put the cross at the center of his everyday life. When he worked. See, when he made tents, he made them in the shadow of the cross. When he talked with someone, had relationships with someone, he would do it in the shadow of the cross. You see, I, Paul would go to work and make tents. And it would be easy for Paul to say, Man, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I've seen Jesus Christ. What in the world am I doing making tents? But you see, Paul would make tents. With, he, he was all about self-denial. When I make tents, it's not about me. It's so that I can pay my bills so that I can go get somebody else saved. When Paul had a relationship with someone, he, it was in the shadow of the cross. It wasn't about you, Paul. It isn't about you, Derek. It's about them. What's best for them? What builds them up? What helps them? He carried the cross with him everywhere that he, he went. In other words, the cross is a present power in his life where everything is done in the spirit of self-denial. How many of us carry the cross everywhere we go and deny self? We deny self at work. We deny self in our marriage. We See, when I'm, a, when I'm a husband, I should be a husband in the power of the cross. When I'm a father, I should be a father in the, shower, in the shadow of the cross. Where, where the cross is always saying, it's not about you, Derek, it's about her. It's not about you, Derek, it's about them. It's not about you, Derek, it's about the church. It's not about you, Derek, it's about Pastor Henry. How many of us carry that cross every day, denying self in everything that we do? It's exactly what Paul did. And can I tell you, the effect it had on him made him a man that the world couldn't explain. Who can explain a man like Paul? There's only one thing that can, and that's the power of God. What Paul wanted more than anything in life was to get out of the way and let the power of God flow. He wanted that more than anything. The idea that someone might pin their faith on his intellect or his charisma or his wit or any of that, that, that was a dreadful thought to, to Paul. All he wanted was to show Christ crucified so that the power of the cross could save sinners. That was the passion of his life. So what did he do? He died on the cross every day. He died, when Paul came into Corinth, he died to intellectual show. Did he not? I'm not going to put on a show for y'all. I'm going to come in weak. I'm going to come in trembling. I'm going to come in with the message of the cross. And if you're saved, you're going to get saved because God did it. Because God brought it about. It's going to have nothing to do with me. So he denied, you know, the world's looking for the greater preacher. They want the guy that looks powerful, that looks charming, that's charismatic. Paul said, I'm going to die to all that, and I'm just going to come with the, with the message. He was with the church at Corinth in much fear and trembling, so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And by the way, because he did that, we're sitting here at River of Life 2,000 years later, and we're still reading his letters. In fact, put, think about it this way. Do you understand how 
how what God did 2,000 years ago through Paul, do you know how powerful that was? Because we're here 2,000 years later still reading his words, still studying his thoughts and his, his letters. I mean, the work God did 2,000 years ago was incredible through a man named Paul. But by the way, he did that because of Paul's weakness, not in spite of it. The weaker Paul got, the more powerful God became. The, the more weaker, the more trembling, the more fearful, the more all of that, God just became more and more powerful in his life. And because of that, we're still here today. What about you? You're a parent, you're a grandparent, maybe a great-grandparent. Do you want to affect your children's lives? Do you want to affect your grandchildren's lives? Do you want to have an effect on those around you that when you're dead and gone, it's still affecting them? Isn't that what we all want? I hope you do. I hope that's important to you, to have an effect on those around you, to live your life with purpose and meaning so that when you're gone, it's still a shadow over them to an extent. If you want to have that kind of effect, then you cannot treat the cross like it's some historical relic. It's not something that just happened back there to get us over the problem of sin. You have to live your life in the shadow of the cross. You have to pick that cross up daily, carry it with you as a place of self-denial and execution. When you do that, I tell, when I was a youth pastor here and, and would talk to parents sometimes, um, I, I would say something like this. I'd say, parents, kids don't want to hear what you have to say. They want to see you do it. Words just go right over their heads. They want to see your life. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Are you really living out? Let me tell you, you live with the cross every day, your kids will see that. Your grandkids will see that. And I can promise you, that that message of the cross will have a powerful effect um, in their lives if we get out of the way and let God get the glory through our weakness and let His power be known. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for...